Thanks for being here. I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. Thank you for tuning in uh, from wherever you're watching from. I know we've got people watching all over the country, and so glad that you are watching this. And I just want to say a, a special uh, bit of thank you or gratitude or just welcome, whatever you want to call it, to all of you in the room. Um, I know in our, our culture today and the way things are going, this getting together for church and being around other believers and singing together and growing in our relationship with God and with each other, it's just getting pushed to the wayside and I think we're going to see the damaging effects of that in the years to come. But like, you are here, I get to be a part of what you are doing in this church and it's just awesome to do this together. And so thank you so much for coming out um, today. We are uh, wrapping up a series we've been in called Would You Rather and uh, just talking about questions, choices that every single one of us have to make in life. Um, we've talked about things like, would you rather be open-minded or narrow-minded? Uh, would you, would, do we want to pursue our own freedom or do we want to submit to God's ways? Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about choosing comfort when really we ought to choose conflict so that we can grow and mature as people. Last week, our founding pastor, Kevin, talked about the difference between nice and good, and sometimes, especially as parents, we want to be nice, but really, we need to be good parents. And so, if you are here for the first time, or you're watching online for the first time, whatever it is, um, I say this all the time, but it's because I really believe it, you owe it to yourself to go watch these messages and, and hear, because these are, these are good, challenging, practical questions for life. That there are ways that seem right to us, but God's instructions are actually better and we should pay attention to that sort of stuff. So anyway, we've got a YouTube channel. You can go view all that. Today, though, we save the best question for last. This is the most important would-you-rather question, not only of the series, but I think that we will ever, ever choose in life. Are we going to choose to strive or surrender? Now, if you've been here for any of the previous weeks, you already get the bit, right? You get the shtick. This one sounds good, but we end up doing this. We're getting there, okay? But like strive sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't striving sound like a good thing? I mean, striving, putting forth effort, working hard in life, that seems like such a good thing to do. There's so many benefits. The more effort we put in, all that sort of stuff. I know when I was first learning to play guitar, there was a lot of striving involved, you know? They're striving to memorize, you know, notes on the fretboard and memorize chord shapes and striving to build up calluses on my fingers and striving to train my ear to be able to hear, you know, certain parts in a song and figure out how to replicate it on guitar. But here's the thing, striving works, you know, striving is a good thing. I, I did not just want to be like a campfire guitar player, you know, no three chords and that's it. Like I actually wanted to be somewhat good at guitar, still got a ways to go, but there's striving and there's work and there's effort in there. And for so many different areas of life, we know this is the case. We know that it takes hard work and effort. You know, we should strive to be better people. That's just a good rule for life. Strive to be better husbands and wives. Strive to be better moms and dads. Strive to be better citizens and all that sort of stuff. We should, we should strive at our jobs. We should strive to keep growing and developing as people, you know, getting more knowledge, whether that's academic knowledge or emotional knowledge or how to relate to one another, all those sorts of things. Like sweat equity is a good thing, you know? Whether it's sweat equity on a, a physical project or sweat equity mentally, just trying to grow as a person, the more we strive, I mean, it's just, it's good for us to strive and to work and to put effort into things and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and here's what happens in life. It's just a general principle. The more we strive, the more we succeed, you know? 
I mean, maybe not always. It's not a guarantee, but nine times out of ten, the more effort we put into something, the better off we're going to come out on the other side. The more we strive in our work, you know, the, the, the more promotions we're going to get, the more raises we're going to get, the better off our just, you know, job experience is going to be compared to if we just sit and scroll TikTok all day long. I mean, you know, that's fun for a while, but putting in work is worth it. The more we strive to, to grow and develop relationally, we, we strive to be better friends, the more the, the quicker we are to forgive, the more compassion we have, the more patient we are with other people. I mean, our, just our relationships are going to go better, you know? There, there's this, this striving principle is so evident in life, and it's, it's such a prevalent thought. We know it works in life, so we bring this same principle into our spiritual lives as well. And you know what? Even there it works. You know, the more we try to be good and do, do what God says— Generally speaking, our lives are going to go better. You know, the more we try and live according to godly principles, biblical instruction, the less pain we're going to experience, the less sorrow we're going to have, the more regrets we'll be able to avoid. Like this, this striving thing, even in a spiritual sense, is good. In fact, even the Apostle Paul in one of his letters, he says, training for godliness, striving spiritually, brings benefits to our lives. There's really only one problem with striving, and that's this. When we strive to be right with God. But isn't that kind of what we all do? I mean, isn't that just kind of generally like the human outlook on things? All these different ideas out there and all the different world religions. I mean, this, isn't this kind of what religion has boiled down to? Us striving to be right with God. Us behaving in a way to make us right with God. I mean, it works in so many other areas of life. Why wouldn't it work here? We, we, whether we say it out loud or not, I think a lot of us operate under this just baseline assumption that the more we try to be good, the more we strive to do the right things, the more our good outweighs our bad, we think that will make us more right with God. And we've got all of our life experience to back that up. You know, when, when you and I stay for overtime at our jobs, generally that works in our favor, and so we think, okay, if that principle works there, then, then you know what? Maybe if I, if I don't steal, that'll work out in my favor, and I'll be more right with God than someone who does, right? Or, you know, sometimes we like to, we want to butter up our spouses, you know, so we go buy them a nice gift, or we take them out on a date, and, you know, we want to go on this big hunt or something, and so we, we want to do something nice, so they'll say, yes, we're going to butter up our spouse. We try and do that same thing with God. We're going to try and butter him up with our striving so that we can be right with him. God, God, look at me. I gave some money to, you know, hungry people in Africa. Doesn't that make me more right with you? We just have this, this general view that the more effort we put in to live the right way and do the right thing, we think that means we can become more right with God. I don't know if your brain is as visual as mine, but I kind of think of it like this. This is, this is kind of our view on things. We think that like the scale of goodness or badness and the more we try to be good, that must mean we're going to be right with God, right? And so here's, here's you and I, you know, we... We try to be pretty good people, you know? We try to be nice to our neighbors. We try to help people who are less fortunate. We come to church when we could stay home and watch the Vikings play in London. You know, I mean, that's, that's got to count for something, right? 
We try and be, you know, all these different things. And, and we think, you know what, I've, I've reached this level of goodness. Surely God has got to take notice of how hard I'm striving. And I've got to be more right with him than, than some of these other people. And then we look a, around us and maybe this other person is your brother or your sister or maybe your spouse. If they're sitting next to you, don't nudge them during this part. But they're not as good as you, obviously. You know, I mean, they, eh, they got some work to do. But they're, they're kind of good, you know. They never robbed a bank. You know, they've never, they never murdered anybody there. They're pretty good. They got a ways to go to be as right with God as us. But generally good people. Sometimes we, we think of people like this, you know, these are the serial killers and the pedophiles and the drug lords and like, man, there's no way they can be right with God, you know? They're horrible people. They've sinned so much. There's, there's no chance for them. You might as well give up. They are below the, the, the line it takes. Then there's other people, you know, we'll just hypothetically call this person Kevin. And uh, I mean, he says he's a Christian, but, you know, I mean... He doesn't try as hard as the rest of us. You know, he's, he swears sometimes, so you can't really do that. Or he talks about, you know, liking to get high when he was younger. And man, I don't think he's trying as hard as, as the rest of us. He's pretty good, but, you know, he's not that good of a Christian. And then there's, you know, Mother Teresa or whoever and other people. And like, we just, we have this general view by looking at ourselves and, and comparing ourselves to everybody else. And we, we rate our own goodness, our efforts, and we think the higher up we are, the more right with God we've got to be. And there's only one problem with this. It says that that's not how God see things, sees things. You know, God is, God is above all. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's got a different perspective on things. He sees our, our secret thoughts and our motives and our attitudes and the things that nobody else knows that we've done. We look good here. God sees all of that. We judge our striving based on each other. We think that makes a difference in our rightness with God. God sees things from above. And to God, this person looks just the same as this person. And this person is just the same as this person. Even though we think it's different, God sees them the same, the same as this person, the same as someone who's off the charts. I mean, God looks at us and sees every one of us in the same spot. That we, no matter how hard we strive, no matter how much we want to rate our goodness compared to other people, God's view is different. That all of us are imperfect people. Some more imperfect than others, but all imperfect. James, the half-brother of Jesus, kind of explains this in, in his letter. He says, for the person who keeps all of the laws, except one, super good person, tries a lot, his effort's way better than any of us, but that person is just as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. Someone who goes to church all the time and gives money away and doesn't say poopy and helps all these people, if they've missed even one time, if they've sinned even once, man, just as guilty as the worst lawbreaker you can possibly think of. You see, this, this rightness with God thing, it's different than any other system. Everything else we're used to, the more we strive, the more we succeed. That's not the case with God. With God, the requirement is perfection. Every single person, if we want to be right with God, we have to be perfect. I don't know about you, I'll be the first one to admit, I'm not perfect. 
we deserve not to be right with God. When we look at each other, we don't think that, but from God's perspective from above, we deserve to not be right with him. We deserve to to have his wrath. We deserve to be separated from him for all eternity. That sounds harsh. I get it. I'm not trying to say it's not. But that is the truth of the matter. We are just as guilty as anybody else. The moment we sin, it it is a level playing ground for all of us. In Romans, Paul spends the first two and a half chapters really diving into this point. I would suggest you read it later on. Um, He's combating our view of being right with God versus what God actually says. And he writes to Jewish people and he writes to non-Jewish people and he brings up all this different evidence to basically make the same point. No one is right. In fact, he ends up getting to this point where he just says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. This letter is almost 2,000 years old and nobody in Paul's original audience and none of us here today, nobody watching online, the reality is that no one, not even on our best day, can be right with God. No one through any amount of striving, by doing what the law commands, by trying really hard, by living, by having our good outweigh our bad, none of us can be right with God. In fact, what he says is the more we try to be right with God, the more it really ought to make us aware of how imperfect we are. The more we have to strive to measure up to a certain level, the more we should realize I don't measure up. There's no amount of strive. We can strive more than, more than the person next to you. We can strive more than anybody else. We can strive our whole lives. But the reality is none of us can ever be right with God through our own efforts. That's what Paul is saying right here. That, that's, that's the dilemma we find ourselves in as human beings. But this is why Jesus is so important. This is why Jesus is such a big deal. This is why we sing songs about him and talk about him and, and constantly keep coming back to what Jesus did for us. Because through Jesus, there is a way to be made right with God, regardless of our striving. Paul goes on. The very next thing he writes is this. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. And here's the best part. Without keeping the requirements of the law, without having to be good enough, without having to try really hard, without having to live better than somebody else, there is a way to be totally and completely right with God that's not dependent on our striving. And this way was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made totally, completely, wholly right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter where we end up on that little chart and how good we are compared to somebody else and how horrible somebody is, this is possible for everyone. Those of us that strive a lot and those of us that don't strive at all. Those of us that have lived super good lives and those of us who've lived as the most, you know, horrible sinner ever. This is true for everyone who believes. For everyone has sinned. We're all in the same boat. From God's perspective, there's no difference. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace and his love, his desire to be with us, freely makes us right in his sight. How? Well, he did it through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God 
when they believe. Not when they behave. Not when they try really hard. Not when they strive more than somebody else. Not when their good outweighs their bad. When we believe, when we put our trust that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is like the the clearest, best, I think, passage of Scripture to explain how you and I can be right with God. And it has nothing to do with striving. He goes on to say, can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? Can you and I stick out our chests at all and be like, yeah, but I worked harder than that other person? Can we do that? No. Because our acquittal of forgiveness we experience through the sacrifice of Jesus, it's not based on obeying the law. It's not based on our striving. It's not based on our works. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Not by striving. You and I, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make when it comes to whether we're going to be right with God or not. And that is, are we going to strive or are we going to surrender? Everything in life, every other world religion is all about striving to be right with God. But the reality is, is that we need to surrender instead. We need to surrender our own efforts. We need to surrender trusting in our ability to be better than somebody else. We need to wave the white flag of surrender and accept God's way of being right with him. The way you and I are right with God is not how much or how little we strive, how good or how bad we are, how much or how little we try, how much money we give, how often we go to church. None of that stuff matters when it comes to being right with God. God says there's one way to be right with him to surrender and accept that Jesus makes me right with God. Do we get it? Do we we understand? He, He goes on in the next chapter, he says this, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. When you and I strive, what we get, we, we deserve that, right? But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, not because of striving, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Our faith in God who forgives us of our sins because Jesus took the penalty for our sins. Somebody had to pay for them. Jesus took that so that we wouldn't have to. Do we understand this? Do we get it? I wonder. Look, striving, striving matters. Okay, I'm not trying to say don't try to be good. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Striving matters. You know, how, how we behave and how we live matters for how much or how little pain we want to experience in this life. If we just go around, you know, just murdering people and breaking the law, there's going to be some consequences. Striving to not do that is a good thing. Striving to live according to God's instructions helps us so much represent God's character to this world. There's a lot of reasons to strive, but there is not one even tiny bit of striving that matters for our righteousness. It is either all Jesus or it's no Jesus. It is not dependent on our striving. We don't get or earn rightness with God through our own efforts, through our own striving. And here's, 
here's the big thing, especially for those of us that have been around this kind of church thing for a while. Maybe you grew up in a religious home or you grew up going to church a lot. Here's, here's where many of us struggle. Not only do we not get rightness with God by our striving, but we don't keep our rightness with God by striving either. Did you hear that? We don't get it and we don't keep it. And I know because I watch a lot of different pastors and I'm pretty familiar with this church thing and I've read Christian books and I've listened to Christian radio. You want to know what I hear all the time? I hear this message. Yeah, you trust Jesus to get right with God, but then you better be sure and live right. Yeah, Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, but then you got to toe the line, Christian. Yeah, you can put your trust in Jesus, but then you better make sure, you, you better keep trying to live the right way or else you might lose your salvation, ugh, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not the message of Christianity. Do we understand that? I mean, this is just, this is all over the New Testament, okay? We don't have time to read through the New Testament together, but we're going to keep reading some more at least. In Galatians, Paul writes this. He says, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Who deceived you? Where did you come up with this crazy idea? The meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. You understood at one point what Jesus did. You trusted him with all your heart. But let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Or did you become right with God by obeying the law of Moses? Did God make you right in his sight because you behaved really well, because you strived more than somebody else? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. He goes on. He says, how foolish can you be? How, how ignorant can you be to miss this? I just picture him like slapping him in the face if he could. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, after surrendering your own efforts and trusting in Jesus— why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Didn't Jesus already make you perfect in God's sight? Why do you think you have to strive? Why are you going back to that system? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? I'm going to ask you again, okay, for the third time, Galatians, pay attention, okay? Does God give you the Holy Spirit? Are you right with God? Are you good with him? Are you able to have a relationship with him? He worked miracles among you because you strived, because you were all that, because your good outweighed your bad, because you obeyed the law? Of course not. No, it is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. It is so clear it is so easy to understand. We, it, it, is, it is against the message of Christianity. It is anti-Christian. It is, it is wrong to think that Jesus makes us right with God when we put our trust in him, but then we have to keep striving to stay right with God. That is not Christianity. That is a lie that is wrong. It is, for some reason, I don't know why it's so popular and prevalent in Christianity, in the West especially, for some reason it's easy for us to, to wrap our minds around, yeah, Jesus makes me right with God to begin with. Jesus paid for all my past sins. But I don't know why we don't believe that he pays for our current sins too. 
That his death on the cross covers our future sins too. And not just accidental sins. The sins you and I do on purpose. The sacrifice of Jesus pays for it all. It is not our striving. It is not our efforts. It is all through the sacrifice of Jesus. He keeps, just keeps going on. I don't know how we miss this. He says this a couple chapters later. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Okay, you're free from having to strive. Stay that way. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't get sucked back in into thinking, well, I got to be good. Well, I got to try hard. Well, I need to do, no, no, no. Don't get sucked back into that. Listen, I, Paul, I tell you this, I'm pleading you with this. If you are counting on circumcision, big deal back then, not so much for us. If you're counting on some sort of behavior to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Do we get it? He goes on. He's not done yet. I'll say it again in case you missed it the first time. If you are trying to find favor with God, if you are trying to get right with God, to stay right with God by being circumcised, by striving, by effort, by some sort of behavior, if you want to go that way, then you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Remember what James said? Hey, it's so good for you. Yeah, you kept them all except one. Guess what? You're just as guilty as someone who didn't even try. If you want to go that route, then you've got to keep every regulation. You've got to be perfect. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, oof, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Our rightness with God is either totally dependent on our striving or it is totally independent of our striving. It is not a mix of the two. It is not Jesus and striving. The message of Christianity is independent of our works, our efforts, how good we are. It is all about our faith. He goes on. He says, you were running the race so well. You, you got it at one time. Who's held you back from following the truth? Who, who told you a lie that was different than Christianity? It certainly isn't God. He's the one who called you to freedom, who, who, who gave you a way to be right with him without striving. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I've been around the, the church world long enough, and maybe you've heard this too. You know, there's this idea out there that false teaching is saying that you can put your trust in Jesus and then live however you want. Oh, that's, that's false teaching. We think that watering down the gospel is, is saying that, you know what, it's only Jesus. That No, no, you know what, that's, that's too much grace. That's too much leverage. We got to tell people how to live if they want to stay right with God. Baloney. The Bible says otherwise. Paul writes otherwise. The message of Christianity is different than that. You know what false teaching is? False teaching is saying that it's a works-based system. Before, after, during, whatever. If our works matter at all, that is false teaching. Watering down the gospel is under-emphasizing grace, not over-emphasizing grace. There's no limits to the grace of God when we put our trust in what his son did. I've heard people say, oh, that's just cheap grace. What? What? No, you know what cheap grace is? Cheap grace is 
downplaying the sacrifice of Jesus by thinking that our efforts somehow matter in that situation. By thinking that like, yeah, Jesus sacrificed and also our, that's, that's cheap grace. Cheap grace, the, the worth of grace is that Jesus paid it all. That it's not our efforts. Paul, Paul goes on, he, he, he's specifically addressing some religious people when, when he went to, to this place and, and, and preached the message of Jesus Christ. They got it. Well, then some religious people came in afterwards and said, yeah, it's trust Jesus like Paul said, but also you've got to be circumcised. Also, you have to strive a little bit. And this is what Paul says in response. As for those agitators, those false teachers, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Do you know what he said right there? I think sometimes this is a, this is a little lost in translation in our culture. What Paul wrote is so bold. It is even, I mean, this would have been extremely offensive to a group of people to write something like this. But he wrote it because it's true. And I think sometimes we miss out on um, the emphasis or the passion or how, how important this strive or surrender choice is when it comes to being right with God. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to take what he wrote here and share it in a, a way that we will understand. And I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, crude or vulgar on purpose. Okay, that's not my goal. But sometimes some clear language makes a difference. Okay? Sometimes we need to be shocked a little bit. You see, circumcision was a big deal to first century Jewish men. It, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't be a good Jew and not be circumcised. And so Paul says in response to them, he says, listen, if, 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 if you think cutting off a little bit matters, why don't you just go ahead and cut your whole penis off? That's what he said. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be crass. I know we don't talk like this in church very often. But here's the thing. I think some of us, we've missed it. Some of us have lived for far too long like those religious people and we've been trusting in our own efforts a little too much. Circumcision isn't a big deal for us, but we've got a whole host of other behaviors and striving and efforts that maybe you and I are counting on when we shouldn't be. And Paul says something very offensive, very in-your-face in response to that. If you and I, if we are counting on the fact that we don't say swear words and somehow that makes us more right with God, I think he might say, then you should just go ahead and cut your penis off. I mean, if you're going to strive a little, strive all the way. Well, like, what? why wouldn't you? If you think, if, if we think this, this idea, you know what, I don't watch, I don't watch bad movies, and it's not about, it's not about bad movies, okay? If you don't want to watch bad movies, don't watch them. But if we think not watching a bad movie somehow makes us more right with God, Paul would say, you know what, if you're going to strive that little bit, why don't you just strive and cut your whole penis off? I mean, if it matters, it matters. So why, why stop halfway? Go all the way. I think sometimes we, we get this idea and we look at others and we think, well, I've, I've never cheated on my spouse, you know? And so that, certainly that must more make me right with God. And Paul would say, ah, 
If you're counting on that to make you more right with God than Jesus already did, then you should just go ahead and slice it clean off. Don't, don't just dip your toe in the water. Don't just play games. Put your money where your mouth is. Walk the talk. If you think a little bit of effort works, then you should go ahead and emasculate yourselves. Cut it clean off. I don't, I, my guess is some of you are offended by what I'm saying. That's not my heart, okay? That's not my goal. But here's the thing. I, would, I am choosing to be bold with my words because I don't want us to miss the truth. I would rather say something that's a little in your face than miss the point by saying nice churchy words that we're comfortable with. Because Paul said, God says the truth of the matter is if we are counting on our striving to be right with God, we have been cut off from Christ. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want any of us to miss this. This is so important. If we are, if we are putting any of our hope to be right with God in the fact that we don't do drugs and we've never cheated on our taxes and we don't drink on the weekends and we go to church and we sponsor a child and we live better than somebody, if we are counting on that at all, Jesus will be of no benefit to you and I. And so Paul says, if, you're, if you think slicing a little bit it matters, slice it clean off because it's either our striving or it is Jesus' sacrifice. It ain't both. He says this a little earlier in the letter. He says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law, if striving, if our efforts, if there was anything that I could do in my own human power that could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. You know what the, the grace of God is? When he says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless, what, he, what he's saying is this. The grace of God is our Heavenly Father sending his one and only Son into this world to leave behind all his divine privileges, to be born as a human being, to live for 30-some years on this earth where there was hot and cold and hunger and tiredness and soreness, to spend three years of his life doing miracles and, and teaching and pointing people to God out of compassion and love, only to be betrayed, only to be arrested, only to be punched in the face, spit on, beard pulled out, whipped so much that flesh came off his body, only to have to carry his own cross, only to hang on it naked in front of his mockers, to take on the full weight of the sin that you and I commit, have committed, commit right now, will commit in the future, and pay the penalty, experience separation from his heavenly Father. That's the grace of God. That ain't cheap grace. And Paul said, I don't treat that as meaningless. I don't treat what Jesus did for me as just some flippant thing like, yeah, thanks Jesus, and also I was really good. No, 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 that's not, not the case at all. Because if I could strive enough, then what in the world did Jesus die for? Why would he have gone through all that? Or, in other words, if our striving matters, then Jesus' sacrifice doesn't. 
If our striving matters at all when it comes to being right with God, not talking about life, not talking about relationships, not talking about representing God's character, but if being right with God, if our striving matters at all, then Jesus' sacrifice doesn't. I mean, I would be so embarrassed to stand before Jesus someday and look him in the eyes and see the holes in his hands or his wrists and say, thanks, Jesus, for what you did. Man, that was, that was pretty pretty cool thing. But also, I gave some money, so. I would hate to stand and look at the wounds in my Savior's hands and say, you know what, that, by golly, you did 75% of the work, but I went to church a lot. And I gave some, you know, I, I helped out the homeless and, and I never watched rated R movies and I didn't smoke or drink and like, wow, aren't I cool? I would be so embarrassed to stand before God someday and have that attitude. If our striving matters at all, then Jesus' sacrifice doesn't. And so here's what we're going to do today. I want to give each one of us an opportunity to surrender. We got a choice. We can strive or surrender. We can, we can keep doing the strive route if we want, right? Like nobody's going to make our choice for us. If we want to work and be better than others and try really hard, we, we can go that route. I just want you to know we have to be perfect though, okay? If you've ever sinned once, you're absolutely doomed. Or in response to what Jesus did, we can surrender, say I'm not going to trust in my own efforts anymore. I'm going to put all of my trust and all of my hope in you. And so, that's what I'm going to give us an opportunity to do this morning. Uh, there might be some of us here today or some of us watching online, and this is the first time you've really heard Christianity explained before. Um, maybe you want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time. That would be awesome. But I think there's probably far more of us. We've done the church thing, you know? We grew up in a religious home. We heard all this. And at one time, maybe we trusted Jesus. But now we're trusting ourselves a little bit too. I want to give us an opportunity to surrender that, to lay our efforts at the cross of Jesus. And so uh, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. Uh, you don't have to say anything out loud. and We're going to raise our hands or nothing like that. I would just ask that we all bow our heads. And if you want to put your trust in Jesus, if you want to surrender, then uh, just silently pray along with me. Father, I know I cannot be right with you on my own. I think I'm pretty good. I know for sure I'm better than some other people. But God, I know I'm not perfect. I, I admit in your presence, I don't make the cut. I know that I understand it as much as I don't want that to be the case. Father, I know I don't measure up to your standard of perfection. I want to stop trusting in my efforts because I believe that you sent Jesus to pay my penalty. I believe that Jesus took the, the, the punishment that I deserved and instead gives me his righteousness. Father, I surrender any hope in what I can do and I put all of my hope in what Jesus already did for me. Thank you forever and ever and ever, Jesus, for what you did. Thank you, Father, for, for providing a way that is that, that doesn't require me to live a certain way. It just requires that I surrender my trust. And so I do that this morning. 
thank you that I know that I know that I know that I am now right with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.